This morning, I invite you to take your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We will focus our attention upon verses 6 to 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. This morning, I want to speak to you about hilariously holy generosity. Hilariously holy generosity. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, let's begin at verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. In their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace of God given to you. So thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. You may be seated. You may recall that the Apostle Paul wrote the second letter to the Corinthian church primarily to encourage the Corinthian Christians to be generous. Many have suspected that there was a severe famine that struck the land of Corinth and the surrounding region. And while Paul was collecting a love offering to give to suffering, struggling saints in Jerusalem, he asked the Corinthians to participate in that gift. Earlier, they said, we're all in. You can count on us. We will give joyfully and we'll give generously. But because of their circumstances, because of the severe famine that crippled their economy, not only did they pull back and give less, but they had stopped giving completely. And so Paul urges the Corinthian church to be generous. In our passage, he begins by talking about that principle of sowing and reaping. That's a biblical principle that oftentimes is used to describe holy living, moral purity. For example, in a place like Hosea, the prophet says, he who sows to the wind will reap a whirlwind. Elsewhere in the New Testament, the apostle Paul says, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Anyone who sows to the sinful nature from that sinful nature will reap destruction. But he who sows to the spirit from that spirit will reap eternal life. So do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Normally, when there's this principle of sowing and reaping, it's about how are you living a holy life before the Lord? 
Yet here in our passage, the apostle uses that principle and he applies it to financial stewardship. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows generously will reap generously. Now from the outset, I want you to know that he is not advocating a give in order to get mentality. He is not saying that you and I can have a sanctimonious stick up where we have a sovereign scam over the Lord. It's not as if we can coerce him saying, God, I've given you $100, now where's my $100? I've given you $1,000, now where's my $1,000? He's not advocating that if you give, then you're gonna get dollar for dollar in your mailbox. However, I will say, I realize people have that testimony. That's never happened to me, but that doesn't stop me from looking in my mailbox every day. I look in there, but I've never had that testimony that what I've given, I've received dollar for dollar. Yet, Paul is saying, let's just think about this biblically, that as a farmer sows seed, so you are scattering your resources all over the world. And if you do it in a sparingly type of way, your crop will be puny. But if you scatter like a generous farmer and you scatter generously, then you will have a bumper crop and your crop will be plentiful. So what Paul is doing is he is elevating the perspective of the Corinthian Christians away from their circumstances and onto Christ. He says, listen, you are giving for something so much bigger than what you're currently enduring, which was the famine that was going on in Corinth. Oh, my friends, can I just remind you this morning that when you give faithfully unto the Lord through the work of this church, you are not giving merely to meet a budget. You are giving to participate in God's cosmic plan of taking the gospel all over the world. You're not giving merely to keep the lights on. You're giving to take the light into a very dark world. You're giving not to make a name for yourself. You're giving to make known the name above all names. That the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When you give, you're not giving merely to make some salaries. You're giving so the sovereign Savior can be known all over the globe. Now, God doesn't need your money, but he uses our money as he advances his kingdom into far-reaching places all over the planet. Oh, my friend, as you sow, don't sow sparingly but you sow generously unto the Lord for as you sow that shall you also reap so in our passage Paul says this issue of your generosity that's a personal matter we commented last week that the apostle does not give us a formula he doesn't say that grace giving is a tithe or 10% of your income he doesn't put a ceiling on it. He, he doesn't even say that grace giving is 20%, 25%, 30%. He doesn't do any of that. He just says in verse 7, each person should give as he has considered in his heart to give. Don't give reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. For the apostle to say, you give what you set in your heart to give in the days of the Bible of the first century, the heart was believed to be the seat of intellect. That was the place where thoughts would erupt. 
You and I think of the heart as a place of emotions, and we visualize Cupid and love and roses, and and we think of, of all the things that are gushy, warm, and loving about the heart. But yet, for Paul, it's not only in a place of emotion, it's also a place of intellect. So he says that your giving must not be an emotional appeal. You don't give just out of emotionalism. You give out of thoughtful decision-making, out of prayerful fasting. You give because you've come to it, you've wrestled with it, you have talked to God about it, and you've set it upon your heart. This is what I will give according to the grace that has been given to me. This is much more than just an emotional appeal. This is an appeal for the intellect as well. It's at the heart of who you are. For if you think about it, If you look at your anatomy, your heart is at the core of your identity. It's at the center of your body. And so from that understanding, the heart was the place where identity came from. So Paul says, whatever you've decided in your heart, that's what you give. And don't give reluctantly. That word reluctantly in the Greek language actually means with pain and sorrow. So your giving should not bring about physical pain upon your life. It shouldn't hurt you to give. I realize that for most of us, we are pretty tight financially. We're as tight as bark on a tree. I get that. I understand that. But when you give unto the Lord, it should not cause physical pain. It should not hurt you. It should not go, oh, I can't. I can't give that. That's too painful. That's too hurtful. And when you give, it shouldn't bring a tear across your face as sorrow flows down your cheeks. Don't give reluctantly, Paul says. And don't give under compulsion. The word compulsion in the ancient language, it means obligation or necessity. You don't give out of obligation. You give out of adoration. You don't give because of high pressure. You give because it's a holy privilege unto the Lord. So so you give not reluctantly. You give not under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. That little word that's translated cheerful in the Greek language is the Greek word hilaros, from which we get the English derivative hilarious. What Paul is saying is that your generosity ought to be hilarious. Your generosity ought to be ridiculous. Your generosity ought to be crazy good. It not only puts a smile on your face, but it puts a smile on the face of God. That when he sees how much you give unto him, he gives a smirk and a smile and says, that away, boy, that away, girl. I'm so happy and I'm so proud of you. It ought to make God chuckle when he sees how much you give unto him. Now, I wonder this morning, is your giving hilarious? Does, does it put a smile on your face? Does it, does it put a smile on the face of God? The truth of the matter is that every time we do our income taxes, every spring, whether you go to H&R Block or whether you have your own CPA or an accountant, that person ought to question, did you actually give this much to the church? You gave that much money to the work of the Lord? Yes, I did. Praise the Lord. Yes, isn't that hilarious? Isn't that ridiculous? Isn't that crazy good? Isn't that just amazing? And guess, I didn't even miss it, would be our testimony. How hilarious is your generosity? How joyful is your generosity? How crazy, how ridiculous is your generosity unto the Lord? Paul says that God loves an hilarious giver. Hilarious generosity. 
C.S. Lewis really wrestled with this. I mean, he, like so many of you, truly wrestled with how much ought I give financially to God. And this was the conclusion of C.S. Lewis. I ought to give more than I can spare. He goes on to write that if your expenditures on life's comforts is at the same level as those other individuals around you that have similar income, then the only conclusion I can derive is that your gift is too small. C.S. Lewis says that our generosity ought to pinch us. It ought to hamper us in some way so that there are things that we want to do and things that we want to have, yet because of the level of our generosity, we can't do them and we can't have them. C.S. Lewis says that our generosity actually ought to pinch us a little bit. That our generosity ought to hamper us a little bit. Yet this morning I ask you, how hilarious is your generosity? Is there anything in your life that you don't have, but you kind of want to have, but the reason you can't have it is because your generosity precludes it? Is there any place that you really want to go but you can't go? Is there anything that you want to do but you can't do? Is there anything that uh, you, you want to possess but you can't possess? And the reason you can't possess it, the reason you can't have it, is because you give too much to the Lord. You give such a ridiculous amount of money unto the Lord. C.S. Lewis says, at that moment, you're just beginning to have hilarious generosity. Because your generosity ought to pinch you a little bit. My generosity ought to hamper me a little bit. You and I this whole month have been talking about the D&D Challenge. It's an initiative where over the next five years we will dramatically reduce debt by more than 60%. At the same time, we will aggressively raise disciples locally and globally. We've said in order to accomplish this initiative, it's an additional $50,000 a month for the next 60 months from this faith family. The way we broke it down, put the cookies on the bottom shelf, is we try to save 500 families giving on average $100 a month above and beyond the giving of their tithes and offerings over the next five years uh, until the end of 2020. And I say that, and I wonder... At what level are you pinched just a bit? For some of you, uh, you could give more than $100. The giving of $100 doesn't hamper you in any way because God has blessed you so tremendously. Still for others, um, $100 doesn't uh, pinch you. It is really quite painful because it suffocates you. And you think to yourself, I've wrestled with the Lord and I can't give $100. I can give $50. Praise God. You got to wrestle with that. And still others have uh, thought, you know, I could, I could do this, I could sell that, I could give the proceeds of this uh, unto that. And, and you are, you're wrestling with it. Praise the Lord. This is exactly what grace giving looks like. And next Sunday, you're going to have the opportunity to come and make your pledges unto the Lord. And as you come, the, the image I want you to have in your mind and the image I want to have in my mind and what the reality is, I want God to look down upon us and I want him to be snickering at our generosity. I want him to be saying, way to go. That's it. I want him to have a smile on his face. I want you to have a smile on your face as you make this commitment unto Christ because I want the Lord to see us as hilarious givers. 
that when God looks upon us, he says, whoa, this is crazy good. The only way this can be explained is because you have a soft heart towards the work of God. So how hilarious is your generosity? Now, before you begin to fear that you may give God too much, let me tell you, you you can't give God too much. The reason I know that is because what Paul writes next in verse 8. Paul says in verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all things you need, you will abound in every good work. You can't outgive God. You can't give the Lord too much. He, He quotes Psalm 112. You may think that Psalm 112 is talking about God, but really it's talking about the righteous person. For in Psalm 112, verse 9, it says, He, being the righteous person, has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. How is that possible? Because the righteous person has scattered the seed of his crop. He has invested his life. He has invested into that which is eternal, which are the souls of other people. Solomon speaks about the irony of generosity. When he says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, that he who gives away gains even more. Yet he who withholds unduly comes to poverty. That's ironic, isn't it? That goes against the grain of how you normally think. You think that if you give it away, you'll be poor. But the, but the proverb writer says, he who gives gains And he who withholds unduly is given unto poverty. It was Anne Frank, that famous victim of the Jewish Holocaust, who concluded in her diary, I've never known anyone who became poor by giving to God. I've never known anyone who became poor by giving to God. So Paul continues in verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. He will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. At the beginning of verse 11, it says, you will be made rich in every way. Now let me stop right there. There are a lot of uh, prosperity gospel preachers who have lifted this text out of its context. They have said things like that if you have enough faith, you'll be healthy. And if you have enough faith, you'll be wealthy. Because if you give your seed gift to this ministry, then uh, God promises to enlarge your righteousness. He promises to enlarge your harvest. I want you to quickly see that it doesn't say that God's going to enlarge the harvest of your bank account. It says that God's going to enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. What does it look like to have a large harvest of righteousness? What does that look like? I can tell you that the most generous person I have ever met is a man by the name of O.D. Hawkins. He served our country well. He was a World War II veteran, a colonel in the army. He was a lifelong deacon at First Baptist Owenton in Owenton, Kentucky. He was a faithful teacher of Sunday school. He was a lover of Kentucky football. Why in the world he loved Kentucky football, I have no idea. But O.D. Hawkins was the most generous man I have ever met. He was generous to the ministry of the church. He was 
generous to Campbellsville University. Several buildings on that campus bear the name O.D. and Bessie Hawkins. He was generous towards the Red Cross and other organizations and agencies. He was generous towards complete strangers that would show up on his doorstep. One day, I'll never forget, he and I were riding on the farm. We were on his uh, four-wheeled gator. And as we were riding, I looked over at him and I said, why do you think the Lord has blessed you so much? His response was spontaneous and memorable. He said, the reason God has blessed me so much is because he can trust me with his money. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, since you ask, I'll tell you. I said, okay. He said, several years ago, Bessie and me decided that we put a ceiling on how much money we would spend on ourselves, our family, our lifestyle. He said, we set that ceiling at $50,000. And he said, that's far too much money. Nobody needs that much money anyway. He said, we made a promise that anything above and beyond that, we'd give away. I thought, that's, that's pretty good. Then he looked at me with a smirk and a smile and said, last year, we gave away more than we kept. It dawned on me, I'm not very good at math, but I could compute that, that he and his wife lived annually on 50% of their income. They lived on 50% of their income. The other 50%, it's not that they saved it, it's not that they put it in a 401k, it's not that they uh, invested in some way, not that any of those things are wrong, but the other 50%, literally, he invested for eternity and he gave it away to the church and to other organizations that were gospel-centered in their work. He gave it away. It caused me to sit there and think, how much do I live on? What percentage of your income do you live on? I mean, if you begin to try to calculate that real quickly, you think to yourself, well, you know, I, I live on 80%, you may say, because uh, you save 10%, you give 10% to the church, Dave Ramsey's very proud of you, I mean, that's wonderful, and you say, well, I, I live on 80%. Some of you may say, well, I, you know, I really don't live on 80%, I live more on 90% because I give 10% to the church, and then some people would have to conclude, you know, we live on 100%. Because what comes in, that's what goes out. And you know what the reality is for far too many people in the church? People live on more than 100%. People live on 110% each month. You say, Pastor, your calculations are kooky. How do you come to that? Well, it's because of that wonderful, vile little thing called a credit card. And the truth of the matter is that we can actually spend more in a month than we actually have coming in because of debt. Because of credit card debt. So there are some people that live on far more than 100% of their income. And it, stop, it caused me to stop and think, now wait a minute. I've got a man who's been blessed by the Lord. I ask him, why has God blessed you so much? His immediate response is, because God can trust me with his money. I live on 50% of my income. And I think to myself, wow, what a large harvest of righteousness. What an investment. He's made into the lives of people. When he went home to be with the Lord, 
When his wife went home to be with the Lord, when O.D. and Bessie walked through the pearly gates, I wonder the number of people that stood there, people that he knew, people that he had no clue who their names were, and they said, thank you for your generosity. And I'm sure that as he walked in, he could hear God chuckling and smiling and saying, that is crazy good. My friends, oh, the day would come that I could be able to share that testimony. I, I don't have that testimony. I don't live on 50%. I, I don't know about your personal finances. The only way I know is if you tell me. So I, I don't know very much about many people's personal finances, but I dare say that not many of us live on 50% of our annual income and give away the other 50% to the work of the Lord. My friends, that's hilarious, right? I mean, come on, that's ridiculous, right? That, that, that's amazing, right? Paul says that's grace giving. That's grace giving. You set it upon your heart what you're going to give. Don't give reluctantly. Don't give under compulsion for God loves a hilarious giver and you can't give or outgive God. Not only is your generosity to be hilarious, it's also to be holy. Verses 12 to 15 Paul speaks about the holiness of our generosity. This service that you perform, this act of grace giving, is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you proved yourselves, men will praise God for your obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel. The Bible seems to be more concerned about our righteousness than our riches. Have you noticed that? The Bible describes people who are righteously rich and unrighteously rich. People who are righteously poor and unrighteously poor. It seems that the Bible is more concerned about your righteousness than your riches. You think of somebody who's described as righteously rich an individual like Job or Abraham must come to mind. Individuals who are wealthy in their world, and yet at the same time, they were righteous men of God. You think of someone who was unrighteously rich. That's Zacchaeus before he comes to faith in Christ. I mean, he scammed and scammed off the top. He robbed from people. He was rich, but he was very unrighteous. You think of an example of a person who is... Uh, righteously poor I can't think of anybody better than the Lord Jesus Christ obviously he was righteous and yet he said foxes have holes birds there have nests but the son of man has no place to lay his head he owned no home owned no chariot even what he had was stolen from him by Judas righteously poor and yet the writer of the Proverbs constantly talks about those unrighteous poor, those sluggards, those drunkards, and, and the writer of the Proverbs always says, don't be like that. In the Bible, there are all those descriptions, yet the Bible seems to be more concerned about your righteousness, even more than your riches. Can I say this today? Um, your generosity reveals your righteousness. I didn't say your generosity makes your righteousness. I just said that your generosity reveals your righteousness. It's not that we are saved because we give away a large sum of money. 
No, we give away a large sum of money because we're saved. Your generosity reveals the level of your righteousness. When it comes to uh, right acts of living, not, not when it comes to your innocence before God. Your innocence before God is signed, sealed, and delivered by the blood of Lord Jesus Christ. But when it comes to right doings, righteous acts, your generosity reveals the level of your righteousness. So that when you scatter generously, there are many people who praise the Lord because of your grace giving. Do you know that when you, when you give to the work of God through First Baptist Church of Pelham, you're giving to help people hear the gospel here in Pelham and in Peru? Did you know that when you give, you, you are helping individuals hear the gospel that live in downtown Birmingham and downtown Bangladesh? Did you know that when you give, you're helping people in Uniontown and Uganda, all over the globe, all over the planet, as you are giving, you are scattering the good news of the gospel in very dark places. So Paul would say to this church, what he says to the Corinthian church, you so generously, let your generosity be hilarious. Let your generosity be holy. All throughout 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. The Apostle Paul connects God's generosity towards us in Jesus to our generosity that we display before God. We are inextricably tied to Calvary. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, everything that you have, everything you hope to be, everything is tied inextricably to Calvary. Jesus is our model in every way. As Jesus has been given unto us, then we give what we have unto others. Our good friend David Platt used to always tell the church at Brook Hills, your life is a blank check. All you have to do is sign the check and God will fill in the amount. Because everything we have, we leverage for the work of the Lord. Everything at our disposal we have to leverage our work unto the Lord. Why? Because God has given us everything in the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul begins to think about this, he gets happy. Did you see the very last line of the text? It's almost as if he, his pen can't move fast enough. The, the holy inspiration that has inspired the ink of the pen onto the parchment that he just says, thanks be to God for the indescribable gift that has been given to us. What's he talking about? He's not talking about the gift that the Corinthians are gonna give. He's talking about the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for the indescribable gift. Do you hear his passion? Do you sense his excitement? Do you see his enthusiasm? He gets to the end of the passage and he just gets happy feet. He just gets happy hands. He just says, thanks be to God for the indescribable gift of God. My friends, when God woke me up this morning and put air in my lungs and a spring in my step, all I can say is thanks be to God. When I woke up this morning and realized that his mercy is fresh with each new day, all I can say is thanks be to God. When I realized that Jesus should have killed me, but he has called me unto his purpose. All I can say is thanks be to God. When I begin to understand that I may not be the man that I ought to be, but praise God, I'm not what I used to be. All I can say is thanks be to God. When I understand 
that Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. The only thing I can say is thanks be to God. Well, yesterday when I'm standing there talking to Shay and I asked Shay, do you want eternal life or do you want eternal death? And she said, I want eternal life. I just said, thanks be to God. When we went through the prayer and I heard a glorious prayer that she prayed and she opened her eyes and she looked me in the eyes, there was a sparkle in her eye and a smile across her face. I just said, thanks be to God. When I realized that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be declared innocent and righteous in the sight of God, all I can say is thanks be to God. I wonder if there's anybody in the house today that has the same testimony that I have. When all we can do, all we can say is thanks be to God. God should have shunned us, but he saved us. God should have cast us away as useless, but he selected us as useful for his kingdom. All I can say is thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So Paul says, let your generosity be as hilarious as Calvary. Let your generosity be as holy as Calvary. It's ridiculous that God gave Jesus to die for me. That's ridiculous. It's crazy good that he gave his son, not just for me, but for all who believe. So Paul says, when he gets to the end of the passage, when I think about the generosity of grace giving, I cannot help but think about that hill so long ago where Jesus died in our place. He was buried on the third day. He was raised to eternal life. And the only thing I can say is thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we come to thank you. We come to thank you. We come to say thanks be to God for the indescribable gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone's here today who needs to answer the question, do they want eternal life or eternal death? If we persist in our sin, it's inevitable that we will have eternal death. Yet, if we receive the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will be granted eternal life. Lord, somebody today needs to come to faith in Christ. Holy Spirit, please make it happen. Oh, Father, there are several who are here who are believers in you. And yet, Lord, when it comes to this issue of generosity, we have tried to dissect and tried to divorce generosity from Calvary, and we can't do it. So help us, Lord, to see our giving in connection with how you have given unto us. And may our generosity be downright hilarious. And may it be holy. In Jesus' name, amen.